when you go out and you become successful at something, you got to remember that you started all of this for your family, more than likely, unless you're single. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Joining us today is my friend, Matt Gibson. He is the host of the Kingdom of Rock podcast for musicians, guitarists, metalheads. And yeah, basically, Matt is doing something cool. He's helping do-it-yourself musicians and people that are in the music industry to be successful with the business of music. And one of the ways he's doing that is through his podcast called The Kingdom of Rock. So Matt, welcome. What's going on, Jared? Thanks for having me. All right, Matt. So yeah, I mean, dude, you've had some amazing musicians on your podcast. Why don't we just start there? Who is, I mean, let's just rattle all, let's name drop. Let's talk about some of the cool musicians that have been on your podcast. Well, let's see. The first person I had of note was Michael Sweden. Honestly, my whole journey as a musician, you know, I'm a retired military guy that has somewhat reinvented himself after 20 years in the military. And all of this has happened, you know, since 2012. But I've been reaching out to my heroes. As musicians, we have heroes, you know, that inspired us to pick up the instrument. And so I figured, well, I could just make this about musicians in general, but I wanted to go reach out to the people that had influenced me. And Michael Sweet of Striper was one of my biggest influences as a singer. And so I just started chatting him up and got him on the show, you know, and had Billy Sheehan from the Winery Dogs, Mr. Big, played with Steve Vai and David Lee Roth back in the day. And now he's in a band called Winery Dogs with uh, Michael Portnoy from Dream Theater, drummer for Dream Theater. And, you know, a whole bunch of other cool dudes. And then we've had David Elfson from Megadeth, which that was super cool. And let's see, who else have I had? I Actually, I've got an upcoming interview. I'm not sure when this is going to air our talk here, but I just spoke with the vice president of marketing, uh, Kevin Bruner from CD Baby. And we had a really interesting chat about his experience. He does a podcast for DIY musicians as well. And, you know, we had a really great conversation about some of the observations he's made through his podcast experience, you know? And really, for me, it's... And I've talked with independent artists. I've talked... You know, I don't have any, like, delusions of grandeur where I want to just have the top successful get. I want to talk to everybody because what I'm really trying to figure out is how can we do this? Because I'm 45 years old. I wanted... You know, when I got out of the military, I wanted to be a professional musician. Well, I have three kids and a wife and a house and all that stuff, you know, and I could not enter the music business at age 45 and expect to be able to pay my bills if I did it full time. And so all of that's, you know, because of digital piracy, the way things have changed, it's just so many different factors, so many distribution channels now with, you know, everything from YouTube to podcasts to digital distribution, you know, and it's just so spread out that it's hard to make noise and make enough of an impact on your audience to generate revenue for yourself as an artist. And so I brought all these people on my show to try to be somewhat of a think tank for myself. You know, maybe it's a little bit selfish, but I figured, you know what, as I'm doing this, I might as well share it with the whole world and let them kind of help me dissect this gigantic problem that we have for musicians is how do you make a decent, sustainable, scalable business for you know, your art, you know? And so that's kind of what Kingdom of Rock is all about. 
so it's basically your hero's journey. It's you walking through this process and learning from some of the best. Yep. And kind of people are along for the ride. They get to see how you work through that and hopefully accomplish those yeah, things. Yeah, and we've already, I mean, I'm already getting to the point where I'm like, I think I know what to do. I mean, it's starting to become, because, you know, we did a segment. I had a friend of mine, uh, Wagner, we did a, a blab where we were talking about how to sell plastic discs with your music. And we were kind of making a mockery of the fact that, you know, people used to buy plastic discs, you know, to listen to music. And the only value of this worthless piece of plastic is the fact that it had music on it, right? And so the market changed and people quit paying money for plastic discs. So this gigantic industry that quite honestly was a bubble getting ready to pop anyway, you know, basically collapsed upon itself and the business of selling plastic discs became somewhat obsolete. I mean, you can still sell, you know, records and CDs and stuff, but it's nowhere near the way it used to be. I think somebody just told me that on the Billboard Top 200, like a couple of weeks ago was the lowest amount of sales for a number one hit in the history of mankind. So, wow. so things are totally changing. And the idea though, that we kind of stumbled upon was Okay, so if a disc piece of plastic has value when you brand it with music and art, what else can you brand with music and art to provide additional value to that? Whether it's something like a t-shirt, bands kind of are still stuck in the old way of thinking, you got to sell t-shirts, merchandise, whatever. But I mean, you can brand yourself. And that's essentially what I'm discovering is happening for me is that my artistry is part of my brand as a social media person, as a person out there in the internet. You know, I'm probably one of the most recognized guitarists out there that doesn't have a record. (laughs) It's a little embarrassing because I've kind of become this music guy and I don't have my record finished. And and that's a pretty, that's an intense story that I, I don't know if we have time to get into, but, you know, I started to record my album and thought I was going to go be a rock star because I had got a million people following me on Google Plus right after I got out of the military, you know, and I just didn't know what I was doing. Oh. I just tanked, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, Dave Ramsey, he's a finance expert. I, I'm sure you guys, have, you know, a lot of your audience have heard, heard of Dave, but he says, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to go from a day job to being a full-time entrepreneur, you've got to get the boat close enough to the dock to survive the jump or at least the swim. Right. Right. And I was like six miles offshore when I jumped off the boat and I didn't make it. <laughs> and I about well, drowned my whole family. too. You know, it was like it was really bad, you know, made a big mess. But now so then I went and got the day job. and I'm like, OK, I got to figure this out because I don't know what I'm doing. It's not just about make a record, be famous, make a bunch of money and live happily ever after. Yeah, we wish. Okay. So Matt, you brought up a lot of interesting stuff. So let's just pause for a second. Let's go back to family. Okay. So I'm a family man. A lot of the guys that listen to the show have families. So Mm -hmm. what you're talking about is right up our alley. Yeah. So you did the military Yep. and then you got out. Did you retire uh, what Navy I'm guessing? Cause you're in Virginia air force. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I retired here. My wife's family is from, I'm in Roanoke, Virginia. So Okay. And so you retired. So at least you've got the benefits of retiring from the military, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's not like you're 
you know, starting from nothing. I mean, in a way you are, but, yeah. but you're not. Right. Okay. So that's encouraging. All right. And then you say, hey, I'm going to figure out how to do music full time. Uh, at least you were in the position where you, you know, you've retired and you had a career 20 years plus in the military. What'd you do in the military? I was an aircraft mechanic. Oh, okay. Interesting. Worked on C-130s, C-5s, all the cargo air- aircraft. So, but I, I did a lot of weird things in the military too. Like I was the head of a 501c3 a scholarship fund, you know? Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I did the military, especially the Air Force, nothing against the other branches, of course. We're all in a love-hate camaraderie, you know? <laughs> yeah, I used to be in the Navy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Cool, man. Yeah. Thanks for your service. But, Likewise. Yeah. But it's like, I think that there are a lot of opportunities when you do military service to learn things that you wouldn't learn anywhere else, you know, and have an opportunity to learn, um, especially at a younger age. I remember one time I was out on the flight line, which is where all the aircraft, you know, the parking ramp for the aircraft, for those of you people that don't know aircraft. And I was like a one striper and that's basically poor and new. Right. And so I was out there and my boss wanted to go get breakfast, you know, because in the air force, sometimes we go get breakfast instead of, you know, you know how it is. So he said, Hey Gibson, sit in my truck and drive around the flight line and make sure everything's okay. And, and I think he did that because, you know, nothing was going to happen and there was nothing going on, but he just wanted me to get that experience, you know? So he left and I'm in his truck and I'm driving around and I've got billions of dollars of equipment just sitting out there. Right. And it just changed something in me about how I saw what I could do, you know? And it's like, you know how they, you know, everyone talks about aha moments, right? And right. that was an aha moment for me because, and I, I know I'm not on fire, but no, I'm just kidding. But it, it was like, just a minute, I was like, I could do anything. I'm in charge of billions of dollars of equipment, you know? And it just changed something inside of me. And that's one of the things I learned in the military that was really awesome. But anyway, kind of a, little side story there. No, I love it. Uh, I think that's pretty fascinating. So you did your time in the military. You got out. No, I want to know what point did you realize, hey, music, it's got to be music. That's what I want to do. Well, you know, it's kind of weird, man, because I think everybody has these dreams of what they want to be, right? And when I was a teenager, I had this like love for music and I remember hearing, you know, heavy metal when I was a a kid and I was like, man, this is my music. I love it. Right. And I think, you know, I was always in bands and I was always in choir and, and all that stuff, but rock music didn't quite sink into me until I was probably in high school, which was the early eighties. And I heard my guitar hero, George Lynch from the band Dokken for all of you people that listen to hair bands back in the day, you know? His guitar playing was the first time that I heard something that moved me with music. And I remember it very distinctly. And so that just became part of my personal branding, I guess. You know, it it became part of me. And so I met my wife and we got married and I joined the military, got married very young and joined the military back in 92. And so for 20 years, I would always have guitars and I was interested in this and that. And I was, I had skill, but I wasn't, nothing had quite clicked yet, you know? 
And so, and I, you know, I'd play in church and stuff and do different things, you know, but it had never quite. And, and then maybe about maybe the last five, 10 years of the military, I started writing songs. And at one point, probably about two years before I retired, I found out that my guitar hero, George Lynch, was giving guitar lessons on the internet. And so I just decided to sign up. And that's when I realized that I, I could, I want to do this. This is what I want to do with my life, right? And then right after that, Google Plus came out. And when Google Plus came out, I had been an IT nut for the whole AOL and on and forward, you know, era of computing, right? And I think that I was always a Google fanboy, more so than Apple. And when Google Plus came out, I was like, man, this is important. This is going to be a big deal, right? So I couldn't get in the beta because I didn't know anybody. But I got in like the first week that they opened it up to the public. And I went in there and I started poking around and I found Hangouts, Google Hangouts. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody. And you know, in a beta, people get kind of in a click and oh, you're yeah. not in it when you're the general public. You come in, you're just, you know, it's so people kind of, you know, fall in love with themselves a little bit in, if they're in the beta sometimes. But totally. so it took me a while to break into these circles, right? But I found a circle that introduced me to an open mic hangout. And the audio was horrible on these, right? But sure. the thing is, is everybody, all the musicians were doing all this singer-songwriter stuff with acoustic guitars. And I was a metal guy and a rock guy, and I was like, I'm just going to go in there and play my electric and rip a guitar solo, right? And see what happens. And sing, you know? And I did. It was like, drop the mic, and everybody was like, what just happened? <laughs> and... At some point, I just realized that I was going to be the rock guy for Google+. And so I just started, and I also found out that I'm a pretty good networker. So uh, I started studying the systems and circles of Google+, and who's who, and who do I need to get to know, and who do I need to, you know, what, what situation do I need to be in? And I was learning and hanging out with all these really smart people that were smarter than me about everything from marketing to management to networking, social media. And I just started learning and learning and learning and learning. And at some point, I got in front of the right people and I ended up on the suggested user list with over a million people following me. And that turned wow. into guitar endorsements. And that turned into you know, being able to call people on the phone and say, I have a million followers on so-and-so, you know, whatever. And that was a calling card. And, you know, I'm actually, the, the funny thing is Google Plus, you know, kind of went into hiatus is what I'd like to call it, right? I don't think it's dead. A lot of people do, but. Yeah, I wanted to hear your take on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So I just had a great conversation. It's actually, I think it's actually, yeah, it, it, it was a public conversation. So I'll, I'll name drop. I was in a, a blab with Joel Com and some other people, Brian fans. Uh, no, he wasn't in that. I can't remember. But it, it was a whole bunch of social media people. And they were kind of giving me the, uh, give us your best shot for Google Plus, right? And they were kind of giving me, you know, ribbing me about it and stuff. And, you know, Google Plus is dead and all that. And so I kind of got, let it get to me. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go, because I had left Google Plus because I realized that all of my eggs were in one basket. 
and I mm. needed to start pushing out to the rest of the world in case Google Plus didn't make it, you know? And yeah. so I really been focusing on that for the last year or so. And I just neglected Google Plus. And so yesterday, I just put a poll up on my Google Plus page that said, is Google Plus dead? Yes or no? And I'm just pushing it out to people and I'm getting a lot of engagement from it. And there's a lot of people still there. In fact, I just made an entrepreneur, music entrepreneur community that's really, it's our only, it's got about 500 people in it, but it's growing daily. And the cool thing about Google Plus is you can scoop up and circle people using CircleScope, which is, it's like a $45 program. And you can go out there and search, search for hashtags and just scoop people up. And, and follow them. And then the cool thing about Google Plus that a lot of people don't realize is you can email the people that follow you. So if you've got a million people on Google Plus, you essentially have a, I guess, a watered down email list of a million people. And oh, well, why do you say watered down? Well, okay, because here's how it works when I make a post, I can notify up to 500 people via email about my post, right? right? And so what happens is, okay, let's say I'm making a post about guitars. So I'll go out to the Guitar World Google Plus page and I'll do a search for all of their recent engagers in the last two weeks and I'll scoop them up into a bucket, circle them and notify them, right? And then right. those people, if they follow me back, then of course I can... It'll actually send them an email if they've given you permission to send email via their profile, which most people have, you know. But it's kind of like it's not like a, an email, so to speak. It, it, it's more like a notification, but it's a little more robust. You can actually notify people, kind of make it so that it works, you know. And then, so what I realized I needed to do is I'm going to go back and make a landing page and, and start notifying all of my million people 500 at a time and try to get them on my email list, <laughs> you know, but I mean, yeah. it's still, the engagement is still there, man. They're just people. And Google plus, a lot of people don't realize Google plus is embedded in the Google ecosystem. And that's Gmail. That is YouTube. That is search all that stuff. And, but yeah, so it's not going anywhere anytime soon, you know? And in fact, there's actually, I've been doing research. There's actually a new program for people. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, I'll, I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes, but it's like a, um, I want to be an influencer program, so to speak, where you're, you're active and you're kind of doing Google's objectives and they kind of put you in all the beta programs and, and all, but I, I noticed the group of those people are getting thousands and thousands of engagements on their posts. So I just applied for that yesterday. <laughs> the first guest I ever had on this podcast yeah. is, man, my mind is just going blank, but she was a Google plus phenom. I mean, was it Amanda? No, it was a girl. It was a Kristen Chong is her name. I've heard and, of her. Is she a YouTuber Oh, my now? gosh. Like, she would post, like, a random picture of a cat or yeah. something, and she'd get, like, a thousand pluses. I mean, it was oh. <laughs> absolutely hor it, ridiculous. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. The and uh, yeah, 
I used to think Google Plus was a ghost town until I saw her profile. And then I started, I took probably about six months where I really dived in. I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. And I started to see good engagement with Google Plus. And then I just kind of lost the fire. I don't know. I just, you know, I mean, lost interest and yeah, fell out of it. it's again, it's like, what, what are you trying to achieve? You know? And yeah. I don't know, man. It, and the other thing is a lot of people that give advice about social media are marketers. Yeah, you're right about that. They're not users. They're not your average user. So, you know, people say, well, you should be doing this, right? Well, maybe not, <laughs> you know? So you really have to like, it, it's simple. I, I think, so all social media is simple. You have to attract people and you don't know who you're going to attract, even though you think you know who you want to attract. You don't know who's going to come, right? So it's like you're it's like you're waving this flag that says, "Hey, come over here," right? And right. it's your music or whatever it is that you makes you who you are that attracts people, right? So you're waving the attraction flag, and then you get this crowd around you. You don't know anything about those people other than the fact that they saw you waving your flag around, and so you have to find out what's important to them. And if you reject them because, you know, like a lot of musicians, they fall in love with their music to the point where they don't care if it doesn't make them any money and no one listens to it. And you have to, you can do that if you have a day job and you don't care about making money as a musician. You cannot do that if you want to make a decent living as a musician unless you're lucky. And because, and you just happen to be, you know, if you're a metal guy and metal comes back, you didn't make that happen. That just happened, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. And then you just got to figure out, okay, all these people are here on social media. What do I do with them? What can I do to help them? You know, because people are, let's, let's just say I attract a whole bunch of metal heads, right? Right. Well, metal heads are a demographic that, you know, every metal head is a little bit different, but there are some similarities, right? I don't mean this the wrong way, but you know, I, I struggled with substance abuse for a lot of my military career. It was I had some really rough things happen to me in my career that I didn't really deal with until I got out. And so I understand substance abuse, right? And so, but at the same time, a lot of metalheads, for some reason, I know a lot of metalheads, and and they you like substances, <laughs> you know. Right. And so if you're a person that has overcome that and you know came back from it. You might find a way to serve your audience that way. You know, David Elfson from Megadeth and I, we, we talked about that half the show because he used to be a heroin addict. And, you know, we talked about how he wrote a book called My Life in Death, you know, D-E-T-H, Megadeth, right? And yeah. most of that book was talking about how he became addicted to heroin and got out of it and gave his life to God, you know? And mm. I think that book, just that book in itself with David Elfson's branding and following is going to help a lot of people, you know? And so you got to really think about it. Okay. Is it people don't buy plastic discs anymore. They really don't pay you very much for streaming your music. So what can you do to serve the audience that you have attracted to you? And, and you know, that's really what the real answer of question of social media is in my opinion. So Matt, you've talked to some big players, both in marketing and in music. What are some of the takeaways you've gleaned so far with the Kingdom of Rock podcast for the person that's saying, hey, I want to make a go at music? Well, I'll tell you, one of the most memorable things that I 
can remember is talking to Michael Sweet from Striper, and they had just released their new album, which was amazing. It was the best Striper album in history, in my opinion, even over the classic Striper records, because they listened to their fans who wanted them to go heavier. It rocked, man. It was really good. Like when you listen to a record and the hair on your arm stands up, you know it's a good record. And so they listened to their fans and they actually, an 80s hair metal band, Christian hair metal band, charted 40 on the Billboard Top 200 over all artists. No kidding. Yeah. And this was like a few months back, right? And I mean, we're talking about, they were charting over, you know, pop stars, everybody, right? And they sold 10,000 records. And that's what did it. And that, which is great, but think about that. Back in the day, to get that high on the chart, they would have sold millions of records. Yeah. And they only sold 10,000 records. So you take a band that has a huge following like Striper, and their fans have money to buy records because they're older, more than likely, right? They can only sell 10,000 records. That makes me go, you know what? I'm not in the record business anymore <laughs> as a musician. And the other thing is I talked with Kevin and I'm going to give a little spoiler for my interview, but he said the CD has changed from being a device to deliver music to a piece of memorabilia. He's like, it's no longer a device that delivers music. Although people can use it for that. And there are people that do. It's like, like Jared's my friend, Jared, I got a new record out. Jared buys my record. He sticks it in his desk drawer, doesn't listen to it, except on the internet. You know, that's the typical thing. And so that really got me thinking about, okay, the dream that I have ingrained in me of go start a garage band, stick your demo tape in the mail, send it to the record company, record company calls you, discovers you, signs you, you go make a bunch of records, you sell a bunch of records, you tour, you become famous, all that. All that stuff is no longer valid. It's no longer a valid dream. So I had to totally, my dream when I joined the military, it like got put on hold from the, the 80s. Right. So when I started back in the music business, I still had that dream. And quite honestly, a lot of people still have that dream because it's ingrained in our culture. So I think that my biggest takeaway was we got to forget about trying to make Google and Spotify pay us more money. We need to quit trying to sell records and we need to figure out something different to make revenue for our families as artists. And so that got me listening to podcasts more and more and more and more. And that got me listening to all kinds of podcasts, everything from Gary V to DIY podcasts to Shalene Johnson to Pat Flynn. And so I'm starting to kind of percolate. All this stuff's kind of percolating and I'm just journaling and taking down notes and whiteboarding. Entrepreneur on Fire was a big one for me. That show actually totally blew my brain open as far as, you know, thinking about things differently. Right. And so, you know, we're just trying to to figure it out and I think, you know, when I realized that Striper is not going to be able, you know, charted by selling 10,000 records, I was like, "Oh boy." Because it probably costs them almost half that to make the record, you know? Well, I, yeah, I don't know what it would cost them to make a record, but, you know, I mean, production, 20, although 30, it's... 000. Okay, that's, that probably sounds about right. I would think 
but I'm sure that would have been way more than that. Yeah. 20 years oh, ago. Oh, absolutely. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then the right. videos were all like expensive. Nowadays, you know, if you have a good team, you can actually make a world class sounding record for a thousand bucks if you have people that are smart, you right. know, on your team. But if you hire somebody, it'll cost you about twenty or thirty thousand dollars. If you hire But even if you make that album for a thousand dollars, you know, there's no guarantee that you're gonna sell that album to get a thousand dollars unless you already have a, a big audience or no, a big and, and I, fan base already. Well, I, I will tell you this, Kevin from CD Baby, he said that there are artists that are selling a lot of records, but it is specific to certain genres of music. Like, give me an example. Well, for example, I can tell you like techno is mostly a digital genre. So okay, that makes people yeah. don't buy a lot of techno records, right? But right. people that, you know, singer songwriters sell a lot of CDs because think about it. I actually went and saw a singer songwriter in my town the other day. And she had a mailing list where people were giving her their physical address and she sends them a newsletter. And she's like, that's more powerful than email. That's super old school. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. She makes a decent living doing it. And so, I mean, but people like her sell, can sell a lot of CDs because people, it's like, it's an aesthetic, you know, it's a certain kind of person, you know, like why would you buy a collectible Coke can? You know, certain people would buy that and stick it on their shelf, but it doesn't make the Coke taste better. You'll never drink the Coke. It's just. But I, I'm in agreement with you, Matt, that while that will work for the elite and the select, you know, the lucky, if you will, that for the most musicians out there, that's just not going to cut it anymore. No. And really what my goal is in all of this, and it's developing every day, but what I'm starting to see for myself and maybe something that I can teach other people is how to take advantage of an emerging social network, get become ingrained in the foundation of that social network, like Blab or Periscope or Meerkat, you know, whatever it is, Google Plus for me, right? And get in front of the right people and become a part of that. Look at the people that have gotten famous on Periscope. There are some ridiculously boring people that are on Periscope that are like, why is this person famous? And it's just because they're famous. They got a lot of hearts and there are some amazing people on Periscope too. But, you know, it's like, so you do that, right? And then as an artist, you keep doing your music and you just make that as part of your brand, right? And at some point, I believe it's going to become evident to me where I need to go, whether it's keynote speaking, you know, maybe I'll go talk places. Maybe I'll be a coach. Maybe I will start a membership site. Maybe I will go... I'll tell you what I really want to do is because I believe in practice what you preach, right? So if I can't make it, I don't want to teach. I hate it when marketers try to teach people how to do things they haven't done themselves, right? Yeah. So if I can't do it, I don't expect anyone else to. So I would like to get my first record to chart on the Billboard Top 200. And I think the way that I'm going to do that is through like a book launch strategy you know, in webinars and getting people, I, I just have a, like a hybrid. I'm kind of developing this system, like a launch system. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, okay, can I make enough noise to get that album on there? And really, you know, I talked to Eric Turner from Warrant last week, a guitar player for Warrant. And, you know, I said, what's the reason to make an album today? And, you know, it's not to make money. He's like, well, it's something to talk about, right? 
And it's something to, you know, do while you're on tour, play some of the new songs, whatever. It's a little different. He said, but it's really not to make money anymore. It's like part of your marketing. A lot of these bands make money touring. And that, yeah, I figured that. Yeah, that's the traditional response to, well, what are we going to do now? Well, you can make money touring. That's what everybody says, right? But the fact is, it's just like anything. If you're not an established act, you're not going to make a lot of money touring. You're going to have to, it's still a lottery. You still have to go out there and prove yourself and hope the market sustains you. You know, so it's not like a guarantee. So I'm trying to put together things that are a little more, not guaranteed, but a little more proven with creating passive income and membership sites and coaching. And, you know, because every one thought I had was, let's just say an artist reads the Strength Finder 2.0 book and they take the test and they're like, okay, I'm a musician, but I'm also good at these things. What can I do to brand these other things with my music? And make that part of my brand. Because really, when somebody connects with you as an artist, all that's really happening is they're making you part of their personal brand. Like when you see somebody with a Metallica shirt on, they are wearing that because they identify with Metallica as part of their personal brand and it makes them feel cool or part of something or whatever. Like talking about podcast movement. When podcast movement 2016 is coming up and yes, I'm gone. Super excited about it in Chicago. And But the logo and the rallying around podcast movement, it makes people, we're part of the podcast world. It's kind of like a a thing. And I don't know. I mean, I think people need things to rally around and things to identify with. And I don't have the answers yet, but I'm closing in on them. And of course, it's going to change because technology seems to be driving just about everything now, nowadays. And that seems to change like daily. So, or by the minute, you know. So I think you have to stay on your toes and, and it's going to take a lot of people to keep kind of being the watchdogs of technology and, you know, just to try to figure out what can we do to, to leverage this, to take care of our families. And I don't know. And we also forget about the real world out there. That's not the internet. <laughs> going to your local music scene and going to venues and hanging out with people and talking to people and you know, I had a great lunch with a local businessman here in my town, and we talked about how important it is to go to things outside of your genre. So if you're a musician, go to like a business conference, go hang out at Toastmasters meeting downtown and learn how to be a public speaker. Go do some stuff different than what you're, you're normally accustomed to because it will really help you out. And, and that's one thing I really learned from the military that I appreciated. What's your advice on the balance between, you know, pursuing the dream or whatever you feel compelled to pursue and also balancing the responsibilities of a family? Well, I got to tell you, man, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm going through a, a pretty tough journey right now with my family. My marriage isn't doing that great. And, you know, it's not sure we're going to make it doing the best I can, but you know, I, it was a hard 20 years in the military and I didn't really deal with some things that I should have dealt with some stuff that happened to me and was drinking a lot. I just kind of wore out my family, to be honest with you. And I'm trying to do the best that I can to recover from that and be there for them and do a good job and stuff. But I think that becoming famous on the internet, especially, it was not very expected. And it did kind of affect the way that I viewed other people kind of, 
I see where famous people can look down on other people and forget the fact that they're just people. People are people, right? And it kind of went to my head, to be honest with you. And so I made a lot of decisions that were for my benefit and weren't necessarily for other people's benefit. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reaping what I s- sowed right now a little bit and, and it really sucks and it's hard. So, and I, I'm saying this because I'm totally a transparent person. I'm not a poker player. And I hope that it can help somebody that, you know, when you go out and you become successful at something, you got to remember that you started all of this for your family, more than likely, unless you're single. And the other thing is too, is that your family is not your team. You might want them to be, you might wish that they were, but they are not your team in the sense of, you need to go edit this video. You need to do, you know, like if if you're a musician, don't expect your wife to be your manager if if she didn't sign up for that when she married you. Hmm. And I really did a lot of that stuff too, which was pretty selfish of me. And, And it was out of ignorance, but you know, still, I mean, if I could go back and fix some things, it would be, to let her just do her own thing and I would do my own thing. And then we would meet in the middle when, when we could, but it, you know, a perfect situation. Yeah, sure. Your spouse is your business partner and loves what you're into and you love what they're into, but it always doesn't work like that. As you grow and you change, you've been married. We were married for 24 years and you change a lot in that time. And so if you don't have values that hold you together through all of that, and even sometimes that isn't enough. So, you know, I'm a man of faith and I believe that, you know, marriage is supposed to be forever, but I used to be really judgmental towards people that were going through hard times in their relationship. And one thing that all of this has taught me is that it happens to at least 50% of the population at some point, because that's how many people don't stay married. So, you know, the fat lady hasn't sung, so to speak. We still have some time and, and I'm, I, I really have just tried to focus on getting my business rolling here to kind of keep myself from going crazy. And it's really been nice to be able to do that and, you know, get some space and give her some space. And, but again, it's, you know, I don't want to get too personal here, you know, cause I don't want to get in her business, but it, it was, I'm doing what I can. And you just got to realize that you're doing all this. It's for your family. You got to balance that. And if you don't, you're going to pay for it later. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping, Matt, that those situations get reconciled and wish you the best and really appreciate you taking time to chat today. Yeah, man. It was great and definitely super excited about having some dinner with you over at Podcast Movement and, you know, doing the hang, man. It's going to be great. Yeah, looking forward to it. So where can people learn more about you and and check out the podcast? Well, let's see, kingdomofrock.com. That's where the podcast is. And you can also check it out in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all that stuff, just Kingdom of Rock. And uh, if you got any questions, you want to send me an email, matt at kingdomofrock.com. I'd love to help you with if you're a musician and you want to try to figure out some stuff. If I don't have an answer, I'll find somebody that has one for you. Good deal. Matt, thanks again. All right, Jared. Thanks a lot. We got to forget about trying to make Google and Spotify pay us more money. We need to quit trying to sell records and we need to figure out something different to make revenue for our families as artists.